Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week, we exchanged some good old-fashioned shit-talking with Softleet founder and friend Brent Phillips. As it turns out, they do more than sling apparel and repost tattoos. This legit training program was developed with a tactical athlete in mind, and some of the first spec ops to speak out against hammering away with volume. Looking for training that encompasses running, gunning, precision, and power? Look no further than Softly. I had time this week to kick it with the guys, so there was a fair amount of pre-show banter. And since Tex was nowhere to be found and unable to defend himself, it was open season for hair jokes. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear the behind-the-scenes chatter. This is episode 217. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? This is another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Conditioning, conditioning, conditioning. We have a very special guest today. Her name's Callie Hins. <laughs> That's right, people. Tex is taking a break. Uh, he's on a two-week hiatus getting all of his body hair laser removed. It's, it's a two-week process. It's a long process. It only process. takes two weeks? <laughs> yeah, well, but well, it's a the, six-man crew. Well, yeah, they have to keep going over and over. It's a lot like painting a house. you got to do several coats. they got to prime. they got to sand. It's, it's pretty important. <laughs> So Callie is filling in Texas' uh, role, I guess, as the question asker. Uh, well, and te- John and I are here just to really talk over one another. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're the, pod- the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, somebody has to talk over somebody. That's how it works, people. But we do actually have a guest today. We have Brent Phillips from Softleet. What is up, Brent? How are you What's doing up, today? What's up, guys? That was a great uh, pre-podcast <laughs> show podcast. for me well, to no, watch. That's a whole that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, it's a show within the show uh, for oh, the, nice. those in the know. It rhymes. Yeah, yeah. Very right. cool. Yeah, so, Callie, I, I heard Callie for the first time on a podcast two days ago. She butted oh. into the middle of a podcast with a commercial. <laughs> I, I thought my phone was fucked up. I'm starting to go through it. Like, what is this commercial? I, I don't know who this is. Did it change? And then I realized it was Callie. So, oh, Ka- God. So, Kelly, are you doing like the Harry Carey? Like, hey. <laughs> hey, I got a I got a commercial for you. I love hot dogs. <laughs> it was you guys like rapping back and forth and then just instantly cut out yep. in the middle of it. And it's like, hey guys. And I'm like, wait, who's this chick? What what is she selling me? Why what, what happened to my podcast? And you, you purchased didn't bought you? it then, didn't you? Hell yeah. You're like, hey, this yeah, is I, I bought all of that shit. <laughs> I bought it all. Just skip 30 seconds ahead. I know. Yeah. No, thanks for having me on, guys. I uh, greatly appreciate it. I'm glad I uh, could come out or not come out, but call in. Well, no, it's 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 great to have you. I mean, we've been friends for you know, geez, twenty, thirty years. So I mean, finally, it's great that we're we're getting on the podcast. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, you guys dated for a while, didn't you, John? Yeah, in, well, in junior high school, he asked me to dance. He was mm-hmm. the only you know girl that was interested in you know dancing with the six foot tall sixth grader. I, I stood on his feet actually, so yeah. that we could move around. What was, was really strange is he was actually a uh, small girl from uh, I think it's Mbappe, but uh, he's really kind of matured into a um, you know leader of soft lead. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I'm still kind of confused on really what soft lead is. What is it you I mean, say it's a, you do there? It's a skateboard that got some programming, what? you got some stuff. I mean, you guys are really covering the gamut. So can you give us, give us a breakdown of who you are, what you've done, and more importantly, you know, the stuff that we need to know. Yeah. So we originally we were going to be a sock company, but you guys had that covered down on. So we had to pivot <laughs> to the skateboards and condoms. Smart uh, move. Really filling a niche there. Uh, no. So um, Softfleet is essentially, uh, I say, a human performance company, but we wanted to focus on what we could actually touch, you know, what we could actually reach out and, and touch. 
um, specifically in the special operations community. So a, f- a few years back, and John and I have talked about this quite a bit, um, the status quo in the tactical athlete realm was just to do a bunch of stuff for a long time and see if that turned into fitness. And we weren't too happy with that. And we'd already been doing programming for guys, um, both through the physical gym that we had and, and just introduced to people over email and the interwebs. So we launched Softlead. Initially, it was just PDFs that you could download that were geared towards either um, everything had a strength base, but some of it was more strength biased and some of it was more stamina biased. Uh, we say stamina, vice endurance. And so now we still do the programming. We developed our own app uh, to house it on and track everybody's performance. Um, we're now moving into, we, we just recently hired a dietitian, registered dietitian so that we can track what's going into people's bodies, their sleep patterns, all that through the app. Um, and we also do supplements and we wanted to fill a niche in supplements because everything that was out there that we saw was basically bodybuilding stuff or true endurance, uh, supplements that weren't geared towards what we needed and what we did. And so guys were just piecemealing all this stuff together to get what they needed. And it didn't help a lot of the issues that we had, if that makes sense. So that's my 47 second business card on what Softlead is. And we sell skateboards and t-shirts. What's up, Callie? I already have a question. So, Shoot. <laughs> so you're talking about how you saw like a hole in the nutrition aspect of, of what you guys do. I mean, was there a moment or a conversation or something that um, you and the other founders had where you realized there was a, a, a gap in, um, in that niche of training for tactical athletes? It kind of developed. So, I started talking to not only the guys that are in, well, most of the guys that are involved in Softly were there day one. And I basically called them. I was like, Hey man, we're all doing our own thing. I want to wrap this underneath one banner and do the tactical athlete training in a real way, because we had the experience both in the military and we all were coaching it at different gyms, whether it was Ollie lifting, strength conditioning or CrossFit. And we, we brought that all together and, and it was, um, for lack of a better term, peer reviewed of like, Hey, I have this idea. Let's throw it on paper. It's stuff that I've done before. And I think it's going to fit really well. And if you send that to four of your buddies that, you know, sharpshoot it and, and take shots at it, you usually come out with a good product. So it was a multiple conversations. There was no like aha moment at all. Gotcha. Okay. So then how, uh, do you, is it primarily special forces guys that are, they're following your stuff or is it just guys who are kind of enthusiasts? What's the deal? Both. So we have um, about half of the guys on our programs are people that are paying for it. So it's civilians, uh, military that aren't in special operations, um, former military guys, vets. Uh, that's half. The other half are guys that we've put on the programs for free. They've emailed us or we've contacted them through our, our networks, bro to bro, for lack of a better term, and said, hey, we've got this thing. If you want to get on the programming, tell us and we'll give you an account. Um, and, it, and it's actually, it's just under half of the guys are active duty, either special operations or um, we also do it for like SWAT teams and, and law enforcement guys as well. And the other half of those halves are guys who buy the t-shirts because I saw a guy walking down the street the other day and he was wearing a soft fleet shirt. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to say, hi, I like your shirt. So that's yeah. exactly what I, did. I was like, Hey, I like your shirt. And he just turns and he goes, I know. That's why I bought it. Like, <laughs> <to me. laughs> and I was like, 
<laughs> All right, sir. Uh, uh, you're under arrest. Uh, were you wearing a uniform? <laughs> no, I was that- just like, I like your shirt. And he's like, I know. That's why I bought it. And he just like kept walking, and I was like. <laughs> You're so, a fucking asshole. No, you have to understand, Callie, you are the decision matrix for that man. He purchased it because you liked it. Not because yeah, he liked that it. That was a belief affirming comment. Uh-huh. He, he already yeah. knew you were gonna like it. You saying it was like, well duh. <laughs> well, I mean, normally a girl walks up to you and says that. I mean, unless he's, you know, too cool for school or you know, be like, Oh, really thanks. I, you know, got it for free because you know, <laughs> beat up a homeless guy for it. <laughs> that's actually who buys all of our shirts my well, buys i was, I mean, I was give gonna, them away. i was actually waiting for Callie to be like yeah i arrested this other guy that was uh basically yeah. passed out in, uh, <laughs> in his own urine and using feces as a as a uh, pillow and he was wearing a right. softly onesie he and wasn't uh, even wearing the shirt he was just wiping his ass with it which is weird but <laughs> yeah. like, hey i like your shirt <laughs> she's like hey i like no, your shirt so we actually had a uh one of the guys who's on the programming uh Put it up in our little message board that he so he's a police officer and they were doing a prostitution sting and they arrested a prostitute that was wearing a softly t-shirt so we were trying to bail her out and bring her on a podcast but somebody <laughs> well, else the bailed part her is, out where did who, who did she get it from I, I well did she buy it did somebody no, give no, it to her no, did, was told, it a leave behind like the guy took off no, bartering I mean, uh, I would bet you that she probably, you know, stole the shirt or was given, you know, it was kind of like uh, maybe the shirt was tossed to her. Hey, clean yourself up. Kind of like pelted <laughs> into her face. You know, I'm, I'm going with that one. It, it definitely had a story behind it. And we'll never know because we couldn't bail her out. Somebody did before us. Uh, was it wow. somebody you knew that like all of a sudden was like, Fuck, he just wanted his shirt back. He's like, God it was, it, she got picked up. It was probably one of the other guys in the company that was like, I got to bail this exactly what I was gonna say. To an interviewer. All, yeah. all, all of a sudden that text goes around and next thing you know, one dude doesn't respond. He's like, Oh yeah. We got to figure this shit out. <laughs> I wish it was one of those first t-shirts that we got like 10 or 20 of them made and gave them to people because then I could very quickly narrow down <laughs> geographically who uh-huh. it was. Uh, yeah. She was in Austin, Texas wearing a 2XL t-shirt. I don't know who. <laughs> mm, who could that have been? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, uh, years ago we were, uh, you know, obviously in a previous life, uh, power athlete and more importantly my gym was in Newport Beach. And as I was driving down Newport Boulevard, there are those guys on the corner that like spin the signs and like do that whole deal. One of the dudes was wearing a CrossFit Balboa t-shirt. That's classy. <laughs> and and, I, and I, I remember like pulling by and I was like, God damn it. And I like kind of looped around or whatever. And then I was like, hey, where'd you get that shirt? And he's like, oh, the Goodwill. I'm like, oh, motherfuckers. And it was one of our original ones. So then I talked to my brothers. I'm like, hey, what'd you guys do with all your Balboa shirts? And my brother's like, I fucking took him to the Goodwill. I'm like, this motherfucker. So my brother Rob, you know, the king of uh, getting deductions, takes shit to the goodwill deductions, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, nice. gave away a free shirt for for that. So and then the yeah, I give away. mine away when I grow out of them, either because I'm too fat or uh, too skinny. So mm. so grow yeah. out of or into I grow guess. out of or into. I, if I just kept them, I'd probably never have to buy t-shirts. But yeah. So John, did you hire him as a coach since he already had the uniform, or what? I did. 
<laughs> and I'm right here today. So that was a, I mean, what an adventure that was. Well, you it, know? it was actually, uh, I made him switch positions with, uh, with Ben for a week. And Ben realized he liked being a sign thrower better because it wasn't nearly as, um, you know, time labor intensive. He didn't have to worry about it so much. And he just uh, probably safer than be being creative. around you unless degrading as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, better, it was actually a better benefits package, believe it or not, <laughs> um, being a sign thrower. <laughs> paid better. Yeah, because one of the big things of being a CrossFit Balboa coach, for those of you who are were ever want, you had to pay membership. Um, <laughs> you had to let John verbally and physically just berate you uh, for six months before getting the tap to run a, an elements class or anything like that. You know, <laughs> so it was, it was just an onboarding. I, th I think program. that's every CrossFit gym that's ever existed, right? You have to show up and coach for free and get berated for like a decade, and then they yeah, pay for your foundations or you know, yeah, we'll let you run the warm up. You can teach uh, foundations. Ironically, yeah. there was a dude uh, in one of the um, uh, power athlete programs that like said, "Hey, you know, I was in Newport Beach and I stopped in, and he had this like amazing time, like as a drop in." I'm reading, like, he must have taken my class. Yeah, it was a Johnny Water. Yeah. These guys found Johnny Water and he stops in and I guess went and the coaches are amazing. The people are great. And we're like, yeah, that's Balboa. See, John, I I'm going to have – Callie and I would know because we actually worked there once you parted ways. Uh, things were really nice when you weren't around. I got to tell you, it was like a great <laughs> gym, great great environment. Coaching was a top-notch deal. I completely There, there was a good flow, good <laughs> workflow. Uh, things got accomplished. So Nobody Brent, cried. Talk, talk to us a little bit about, because we, you know, within our methodology and working for performance for sports and in a lot of our programs, we, you know, there are life cycle elements and certain focuses that we take with an athlete. Now, is it the kind of like, you know, you have a high school athlete, let's say they're going to train a little more different. They're going to train differently than a collegiate athlete who has training history, training experience. Right. Is it the same with your community? I mean, is there a life cycle element to, to how you lay out the programming for, for softly? Yeah, there, there certainly is. And so we, there's a lot of things that go into um, the life cycle once a guy's operational and, and that ha they have to have some intelligence to be able to figure out what they need for whatever's coming up and then plug in one of our cycles based on that. And so we, we run 90 day cycles, but there's a big difference. And this is where a common misconception was. There's a big difference between being really ready for a selection, whatever it is, whether it's buds, uh, SFAS or MARSOC ANS or one of the other selections, and then being in an operational team. Um, there's also a big difference once you're in a team between what you're going to be doing, right? If you're walking through the mountains, uh, carrying a pack all day, it's totally different than if you're riding in a helicopter, landing, shooting people and taking off. Um, and, and so what we do is we basically have our, our pre-selection program. And so that's a 90 day lead up because what we saw was people were just, Oh, I'm a year and a half out from selection. I'm going to keep ruck running and ruck running and ruck running so that I can get ready. And it's counterproductive at best. So we, we give people a 90 day lead out where, you know, Hey, you need to be generally fit to be in the military anyway. And once you're in that 90 day approach, we're going to get you ready for selection. And we didn't focus so much on crushing the hard gates. Like you'll see other people do where it's like, Hey, you're going to have the best 12 mile ruck run time ever. What we focused on was making guys uh, strong enough to be really good team players. So in a lot, most of these selections, um, as long as you run a decent physical fitness test, you know, like enough to get there, right? Like top 10%, which is the guys that you want to be in anyway. Um, nobody cares if you're the top, top 1%. 
I'm just like, all right, well, cool, man. We got to carry this heavy log all day. So are you going to be good at that? So that's what we geared our selection prep to is making guys really solid, strong team performers. And then our operational programs, what we anecdotally saw was guys were either pretty fast and kind of weak, or they were really strong and really slow. And so we have a strength program and a stamina program. And there's a lot of overlap, probably, you know, 20, 30% deviation in what you're going to get out of those two. Um, but the, the life cycle for those guys is uh, seasonal, as weird as it sounds. So everybody wants to lean out going into summer. So we give guys a little bit that's going to lean them out, get them cut up a little bit into summer, and then, you know, get big in the winter, which is what everybody does anyway. And that's not so much a performance-driven thing as those guys are going to do it on their own anyway. So if we give it to them, we can give them the right stuff instead of them going out and adding or modifying programs or whatever it is. So when you see bicep curls in our program at the end of uh, whatever your work workout is and, and your training day is, it's not so much that we really care about these dudes having jacked biceps. It's that they're going to do stuff anyway. And so if we give them something, then they're not going to go out of their go out on their own and you know crush their back and thighs after doing our work. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, any program that doesn't have bicep curls in it is an incomplete program. I agree. ABCs of fitness always be curling. Well, John, and then eat, back in the old CrossFit football days, I, I can remember, you know, we, part of being on the seminar staff, we had to learn the program, ins and outs of it. And it's like, well, what's with the Saturday? And you're like, it's, I'm protecting people from themselves ultimately, right? It's like, if, if I don't give them something, they're going to go do some stupid shit and ruin their training the next week. You know, so it's, yep. I guess it's an element of that, right? So you give a, you give your athlete a feel, just a taste of what they want anyways. Ah, I want to do some bodybuilding shit. Vanity's involved. You know, you'd be lying if for most part, we haven't run across very many performance horrors who are truly in it regardless of what they look like, right? right. Uh, but yeah, you don't want them going off and fucking off and doing something outside the realm of productivity, yeah, no, that's exactly it. And a lot of times we'll work in like prehab as part of the like beach muscles and like, oh man, that I really feel a pump from that. And you're like, okay, well, you're just strengthening your shoulder girdle. I don't care about the pump, but mm -hmm. uh, they were getting what they needed out of it. And I, I learned that coaching people in person, which I think is hugely instrumental. And you guys, I'm sure will agree. You can't run an internet based company if you've never actually trained human beings like face to face. Um, you're just doomed to failure if you're doing that. And a lot of, as you guys have found out, I'm sure over the years, programming is you know what you want to do and you know the response you're trying to elicit from that athlete. And how do you get them to do what you want to do is probably half the battle. Yeah. And the way you want to do it. Right. Right. Yep. Exactly. And so we, a lot of, uh, we don't do online coaching, which is a common misconception when people come over to us. Uh, we tell people to go get a real coach. So there needs to be somebody there in person telling you how to move if you really want to do it well. And so we've stayed away from telling people how to do things. You know, you, there's a bunch of different ways to do a proper power clean. You go figure that out with a real coach in person. We just tell, many, tell you how many power cleans to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So, and what, there were just, when we started to design the program, there were so many uh, fallacies around the tactical athlete, you know, Hey, you're lacrosse players with guns. You're like football players that also have to run marathons. I've just heard tons of weird, random bullshit that was out there. And there were just these gaping holes. Like nobody was doing anything on a transverse sagittal plane or, or, you know, if people were, it was few and far between. So we've tried to work in, um, to address the issues that guys have had in the past of, well, I don't need to be strong. I just need to be fast or I just need endurance. And 
in reality, you need all of it. And so instead of lumping it all together in one training session, we train, you know, different energy systems, um, different strength movements, different days and have an actual approach to it instead of just throwing a bunch of shit on a board and telling people to do that for the day. So actually a little block periodization instead of just doing a concurrent model where you try to, you know, train everything at once, which effectively kind of struggle with and end up not being very good at anything. So yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and the reality is tactical athletes, this will hurt a lot of guys feelings. They're not good at anything. You know, you talk about a strong guy in a team and he's back squatting 500 pounds. You know, that's what John was squatting in high school. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't even know of a guy in the teams that was squatting 600 that could still move, but that's just the nature of the job. You know, if you're going to boot in a door and need uh, that power generation in one step and, and then be done there and have to walk your ass out for 10, 12 miles, you can't be, you know, squatting 600 pounds. Well, yeah, the amount of time and effort and muscle and size that it would take to have you squat 600 would not be conducive uh, for the, you know, overall deal with the job i mean i know uh, we've always talked about like for certain athletes and especially the tactical guys to have like a performance matrix where like you know at what point have you you know are you strong enough to do your job survive the training and kind of looking for balance and i think being able to figure that out is you know part of an individual's kind of i guess you could say their journey in terms of strength conditioning figuring out what was ideal for them i mean i know for me i knew exactly how strong i needed to be to be able to do my job and then anything extra took away from the time which was you know spent just trying to you know master the craft and i always think that you know especially for you guys you know there's so much you know skill based type things whether it be you know shootings or really just operational type things that you know you can get really so romanced by what's happening in the weight room but at the end of the day you guys don't get paid to lift weights Right. So that was another part is, you know, we said we were doing human performance for the tactical athlete and um, we have a, so we have a shooting program that's three to five days a week or dry fire. And then one or two days a week are live fire. Our intent is basically that guys are doing, you know, if you have an eight hour workday, half of that day should be training physically, whether that's working out, shooting tactics, et cetera, et cetera. You shouldn't be sitting at a desk all day if if you're a, uh, in the military in special operations specifically, but the strength piece, what, what always sells it for the older guys that were always, you know, Hey, we have to be able to swim and run all day. And that's all we're going to do for workouts was, uh, there's injury prevention and strength, right? If I put a backpack on John and tell him to jump across a two foot Creek, he's very likely to not get injured. Right. With a, like, let's say, whoa, 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 whoa. don't go out on a limb here, dude. I mean, I could totally fuck all myself right. up. So I mean, let's go with somebody no, John, else. You're, uh, only two feet? I'm, you mean 20 feet, right? John Wellborn's no, two, a six-foot-eight giant who can palm a medicine ball. Yeah, no, the point being, if you if you strap some weight on a guy and tell him to go jump across a creek, if he back squats 400 pounds, he's way less likely to get hurt than the guy that back squats 150 pounds. And then post-injury, um, the stronger you are, the easier it is just to bounce back. And I'm sure John can attest to that with the bajillion injuries that he's had. Um, well, what's, a, you know, but- what's kind of interesting, and I was thinking about for you guys too, especially like, um, you know, if you, you know, like, let me see how I put this, but um, like, have you done the volume of work that allows you to survive the endeavors at which you're going to use it for? And I, and I think about like that always, whenever I worked with any of the military guys or kind of tactical athletes, like, like what's the demands, what do we got to replicate? And more importantly, have you done the body work to be, you know, to come home safely? 
And I think right. uh, when I, you know, before you guys really came on the market, there was a couple people that were trying to do this. And every time anybody ever reached out to me or sent me anything, I just thought like they were so far off base. And I remember those early conversations we had, you know, when you were telling me what you wanted to do and how you wanted it to go down. And I think you guys took a real smart, systematic approach, you know, like what's the max return I can get for, you know, the minimal amount of, uh, of input. And I think everybody was looking at almost like, um, you know, the analogy I, I, I give for a lot of people's programming is like a Christmas tree. You know, like you go in, you walk into some people's houses and they have a nicely decorated Christmas tree. And then other people, you walk in and you think to yourself, you just put 50 years of ornaments on this motherfucker and you came and see the tree. And, uh, you know, that's a good training analogy. People just like to hang ornaments and like, oh, if, you know, uh, you know, well, we need to be explosive. So we got to apply metrics. You got to have a speed. You got to have this. And they just start hanging all these ornaments and then you can't see the tree and you have no idea how it's even standing up. And so I think right. by, you know, kind of, you know, doing some block periodization and, and just really kind of partitioning the programming in such a way with, you know, pre-selection and really understanding it, I think you guys have really kind of hit the mark for a lot of guys. And, you know, it's much needed because I think a lot of the stuff I looked at, I remember when, um, when you originally started, I remember you forwarded me a couple links and I was like, what the fuck are these people doing? It was almost like the sake of just doing more to do more. And, volume for the sake of volume. Well, yeah. And, and that's, you know, and, and it, it's easy to write a program that people look at and think, well, this is the hardest thing on the planet. Great. Honestly, just keep, but you know, to actually write something that allows people to not only get better each day and to continue to strive without fucking burning them down every day is really where the, you know, the art of this thing comes through. And, and a large group of people. Yeah. You know, a large group of people right. that you haven't assessed and met that I don't think people get. No, I mean, you know, trying to write programming for 2,000 people that you've never met and trying to, you know, almost look at these different performance matrix and see where people line up and you can kind of start kind of guessing it. But at the end of the day, you have to be doing the training. Like you said, you have to have worked in a commercial gym uh, or a CrossFit gym or actually worked with people and, you know, have some actual semblance of what's going down. I mean, uh, I think a lot of these people just write this shit in a closet and think, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Or or they their perceived effort is, is where they think the 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 gains are made and it's not right like what just because you're really sore or really sweaty does not mean you had a good training session and for a lot of people they, they don't get that um a lot of they're, they're also not doing the vol the the calculations on how much volume they're moving like how, how much weight did your athlete move today and people have no clue and then they write a program and they don't run a model athlete through it you know okay well if i have a guy who you know back squats 400 pounds he's going to do x amount of weight in this this uh this rep scheme for the day they don't go through any of those calculations and then the other hard part for template programming is it's really hard for the average coach to dial in what their athlete is capable capable of and we were lucky because i could just go to my coaches at my unit and go hey what's the average back squat of an operator in socal and they'll go oh it was x y and z and so i talked to our coaches and pulled all of those numbers and uh if you take out the top 10% performers for any lift or, or runtime or movement, and you take out the bottom 10%, everybody else is pretty much within a 10% deviation of each other. Like the, the core 80% of our guys are essentially the same people. And so it became really easy to go, okay, well, if all these guys are the same, I know how to make them all better. And that fit into, you know, all, I don't know, 10, 12,000 operators within SOCOM. So it was easy for us to dial in once we started to look at the numbers, how to make these guys better. And then looking at the injuries that they were running into, non-impact injuries. So if you come burning in in a parachute and break a leg, there's no training that's going to help stop that. Right. Um, but the overuse or, or just the but lifting injuries. Uh, I mean, and, and this is kind of where you get back to this thing, like the physical 
I guess like the the actual physical of doing like I mean uh, you know I was talking with um, Andy Stump and we were joking about another one of our buddies Alex Sonienberg who was posting a bunch of videos of them like flying squirrel suits in uh, in the Alps and he was hilarious because he's like you know Alex didn't have any experience doing this stuff and we went out there and he jumped and he's you know he's like as he's done more and more jumps has been more more proficient um, you know he went from skydiving I mean these guys all did evolutionary stuff like they did skydiving and they went to base jumping and then they finally got in the squirrel suits and like it's this kind of evolution the amount of work and I always think like um, it's always so easy just to default to being able to go to the gym like hey let's go hit the gym and train and then we'll go do whatever we got to do but I think what you guys do a great job of is not only kind of pulling them out like you know with like your shooting stuff uh, you know I mean while I'm not as religious as I can be I mean I try to sh- you know dry fire for at least 20 30 minutes three days a week and if I can get to the range right. at least you know once a month and I'm doing pretty well um, you know I wish it was every Friday we got to go to the range but uh, that isn't soon the way John it is. soon soon, soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, you know, but then even when, you know, the ability to like, uh, you know, execute these movements, like when you go back to the range, I mean, it's, it's not as if you haven't been doing anything. So I always wonder like, how do you guys temper, uh, the sports specific aspect of your guys? Like, you know, is there something where you're like, Hey, remember, this is just what you guys are doing in the gym. What are you doing outside the gym? Are you finding ways to try to challenge people? Or do you just kind of leave that up to their individual units? Cause a lot of the guys you're working with are active operators. So are you assuming that they're doing this or is there actually like something like poking and prodding or pushing for the actual operators? We, we leave it to them. We're like, Hey, you've got access to the shooting programs. If you don't have shit going on, go drive, go get your guns and dry fire laser pistols and dry fire Get to the range. If you can, and a lot of guys there's, I don't know the numbers on how many active duty units are pulling our shooting drills, but we get emails and, uh, and calls from our buddies that are like, Hey man, I ran a range day and I just used your guys shooting drills for the whole range day. And so a lot of our shooting drills are based on shooting with an elevated heart rate and it's not circus tricks, right? It's like a 400 meter sprint. And then, then your shooting drill starts. And just the whole reason is that, you guys know this, your adaptation occurs from either time or intensity of exposure to some stimulus, whatever that stimulus is. And so the more that you can ingrain that either through the intensity or the time, the the stronger the response is going to be and the stronger the adaptation, right? And so we found the best bang for the buck with guys was getting them to do these drills at, you know, max heart rate where they're totally stressed out that being said if you're teaching somebody how to line up their sights and slowly squeeze the trigger you're not going to do that with an elevated heart rate but once somebody's past that and they know how to manipulate a weapon and and do their fundamentals we want to put them into uh stress shooting as much as possible to to reinforce those basics um but the guys that that aren't operational we're not really poking and prodding you know if they're paying 25 bucks a month for our shooting program we assume that that's going to motivate them to use it otherwise it's just cash wasted um well like i you get i got an example for you what if you had yeah. like a like let's say a young go hard you know maybe law enforcement officer that wasn't real proficient with weapons mm-hmm. and you know like you wanted to bring her into a situation where you know she what's could, what are what are her eye, can you describe her eyebrows uh I, I like to call them the devil's fingertips okay um you know <laughs> maybe just maybe kind of points uh you know like you bring somebody in when you ask them like hey like what kind of gun are you carrying and she's like a nine millimeter i'm like well, what kind of glock is that she's like well it's a nine millimeter i'm like okay so what kind of glock but like i just told you it's, it's nine mil john it's, it's, it's the little ones <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, you find this young go-hard that wants to be good, but, you know, kind of a little, you know, uh, just just not... First you know, of all, you've never seen me shoot. Frumpy. So. We would call her Frumpy. I can't fucking wait <laughs> for this. Uh, but you know what? Like, something like that. And, uh, you know, you bring her in. 
Uh, and you want to not only get her, you know, proficient with not only her pistol, but uh, a rifle, maybe a shotgun. You know, maybe we can even bring her out some subguns. And, uh, you know, you put together a nice arsenal and you start teaching her transitions and teach her how to be safe. You know, could you put together maybe just a model, a small program that we could have that with, you know, I don't know. We and just more specifically, Cali. like when you were talking earlier about when to transition from uh, sort of like a marksmanship and fundamentals uh, type training into more of. What as is, is this? Well, no, this you go funny? more from like. Pew, I'm amusing pew, you. Pew, to, <laughs> pew, 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 pew. That kind of stuff. All right. So once it's no longer a surprise that you hit what you were aiming at, then you can start doing other stuff. Is my uh, what I tell people. Oh yeah. She's and then, scary. yeah. What, once you don't shoot and then look for the shot and go, oh, is that where it was supposed to go? That's when you can start doing other stuff. When do you start bending the bullet? Is my question. Yeah, I'm not there yet. I'll let you know <laughs> when I get there. You know, I, and I told Callie the story. Uh, we were at La Posta and had a you know pretty large opportunity to try that. And uh, I probably tried maybe 40, 50 times to bend the bullet. Yeah, and um, I couldn't. It worked thirty. Bend the bullet thirty, 30 times. The the other thing we mimicked was uh, I tried to do a drive by on full auto, and uh, I couldn't hit anything either. So that was another interesting one. That's your fault. Shooting out of a moving car is not that hard, John. It's uh, just, yeah. Gangsters do it all the time. That's yeah. why they never Task hit anybody. Task transfer didn't happen. You got to lead it. You uh, lead it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we can definitely put together a program to bring Callie out. Uh, I think we're going to have her fight you and then it's shoot fine. against me. And then she'll be pretty proficient and ready for the streets. Okay. What streets are you patrolling, by the way, Callie? I'm in Seattle, uh, downtown Seattle. Which is good because we Pretty need to rough. make sure Kelly gets some prof- uh, becomes proficient with weapons quickly. Because I heard that they're actually going to take all their weapons and give them snow cones. Snow cones. <laughs> so Kelly, so, so when she goes out, she goes. She just draws her snow cone, and it's like snow cone. It's actually just a roll of stickers, like a Walmart <laughs> greeter, like a smiley face. She like... just gives. She gives Thanks. them a sad face, and then they start crying and go back to their house. Thanks for not choking me out. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, I got this snow cone and a sticker. This is going to be awkward. How am I going to get through yeah. this? No, it's it's tough to figure out. To, if you're going to take somebody from a, a baseline of, of low or zero skill to moderate skill level is, is something entirely different than taking somebody from pretty good to really good. And so we just focused with our, our shooting program on you already know how to line up the sights and pull the trigger and do a mag change. And we're not going to tell you how to do that. We're just going to tell you the drills that'll get you better at it. And so really taking guys from, yeah, I'm pretty confident with this. I can shoot it. I can fix uh, any malfunctions that arise and I can reload it to, Hey, now can you really get that thing to run and shoot it fast and accurate? So when you you say the term run, are you referring to all your salient arms? pistols no i uh i don't have a single salient gun oh, I i'm, thought you had I'm like too a poor dozen of those yeah. things with all the laser sights and the you know optics and all that no i want to get into the red dot sight thing but i really suck at shooting them and you have to totally switch over if you're going to do that um, uh, you know uh, uh jeff gonzalez was uh, was real big he was like a real earlier adopter on that stuff and i remember we went out and shot with him and he was big on it and so i uh, ended up putting a red dot on uh, um uh a trigicon on one of the Glocks and it was actually pretty easy uh, to shoot with it. Cause it was, you know, the, the crossover between like a small, you know, red dot on a, on a rifle. Yep. And that was pretty, yeah. you know, pretty good carryover. Uh, and then I remember uh, all of a sudden I went to go shoot with Jeff and he didn't have one. I'm like, what happened? He's like, Oh, we tested it and it wasn't faster. 
So uh, there's nothing faster than iron sights in a defensive situation. So he goes, it doesn't make much sense to to really use it in like for a concealed carrier this. And then periodically I'll see some dude with some like, you know, uh, Glock 43 or Glock 26 with like a, uh, a red dot on it. I'm like, oh my God, the thing's almost as long as the slide. So, but uh, yeah, I like them. I mean, I, I've shot both. I mean, I, but I, I also don't like to, you know, feel like you're kind of locked into one thing. But uh, um, is there, uh, you know, so for somebody like Callie, I mean, is there like a, a program that you could put her in? Because, I mean, obviously she has to go shoot quals. I mean, what, like once every three years you guys have to qual? Like how often do you have to qual? No, it's it's once every six way, months? More, way more frequently than that. Like oh, once every six good. months? Yeah, so it's like once every six months, um, and they might be changing that soon. So then, yeah, uh, we could throw her on our uh, on our shooting teams, and, and pretty much anybody that knows how to manipulate their gun and knows the basics of shooting can jump into our shooting team and dry fire daily and, and hit the range once a week or once a month, whatever they can fit in. And uh, we we keep our round counts really low, like fifty to hundred rounds per range session. That way, people can actually afford to do it. Um, but yeah, somebody like Callie that, that has the basics down and just wants to get get really proficient with firearms could definitely jump into those programs. Yeah. I think one, I think one of the biggest things too, is just um, taking like the stress out of it too, when it's like not uh, even, even now that I've had more experience calling a few times now, um, I had a rough time at the Academy just because, you know, like you, you do poorly and basically you're out. And so once you just kind of have that, and I think the firearm at that time was so new to me that, there was just a lot of new elements being uh, thrown at you at one time. And so just reps, it's just like training in any capacity. So, I mean, you will never like doing the fundamentals over and over again. will you know, it'll never, you know, deter from your skill. Um, yeah. It's not going to hurt you. One of right. our guys, actually, Aaron, uh, John's met Aaron, but Aaron's from wall street. He's not no military or law enforcement background, but he has a good beard. And, He's a great beard, lots of tattoos. People automatically assume when he hangs out with us, they're like, so were you at third group, fifth group? He's like, what? Oh, oh no, dude. I'm like, when I first met him, when I first met him, I saw the tattoos, I saw the beard and, and I was like, does this guy, but then his body, I was like, there's no way. So that body, I don't know. My, my last, uh, deployment, uh, he would have fit in well, but anyway, um, we're, we're beating up Aaron, uh, Anyway, Aaron's on the shooting program and he has gone from not a very good shooter to insanely drastic improvements. I went and shot with those guys a few weeks back and he was dinging uh, eight inch plates at like 50 meters. Um, And he definitely could not have done that, you know, six months ago. That's the other thing is much like training, shooting takes time, right? If, if you want to get good in a weekend, you're probably not going to get, get get that good. If you show up to a gym for a weekend and you go, Hey, um, I can squat 135 today. Do you think by Sunday, like 400, probably not going to happen. So the same thing with shooting is just managing those expectations and letting people know, Hey, uh, once you've been doing this for a decade, you'll be able to shoot really fast and accurately. But until you've been doing it consistently for, you know, five, 10 years, you're probably not going to be that good. Well, the, the other thing too is um, I always wonder, like, and we go through this pretty often, it's like, what kind of learners are people? Like, are you a visual learner? Are you an auditory learner? Are you a, uh, you know, like, you know, hands-on? Like, there's, there's different learning styles. For yep. me, I'm, uh, you know, like, I can watch and mimic. So, for me, what was really valuable in training, learning how to shoot was actually shooting with good shooters and watching right. like, the whole 
kind of like, okay, show me the position, show me the body, where does the gun need to be? And you kind of go through all these different, you know, space, uh, you know, like how you move in space, I guess you could say. And I remember yep. like breaking down each and every part and like watching the guys go from, you know, slow to fast and how they kind of sped it up and, you know, just all those little pieces and being like, all right, well, I can mimic that. And then just trying to, you know, I want uh, what I'm doing to look like the picture of what, you know, if that's the standard for it. And I think for a lot of stuff, uh, you know, and whether it's, you know, YouTube or how it all looks like, I don't think people in the shooting community take that, that approach like they would in terms of like, Hey, I'm going to train these, you know, uh, offensive linemen. Like if somebody brought me in to train offensive linemen in the NFL, I would say, Hey, let's start with the basics. Let me show what your foot is. Even though you guys are pros, I want you to do it this way. And then we'll work up from the ground. And, uh, right. Jeff Gonzalez is really one of the only guys that uh, I've ever seen that really kind of takes that, but you know, no surprise that you know he does he trains he trains with us and uh you know we've helped him with his programming and he kind of understands it i think that's why we were you know had some good you know symbiotic relationship but i think the shooting stuff is so cool uh in terms of like at at least for me the idea that hey you know here's this level of precision and i can definitely get instant feedback on whether or not i was good and whether or not i was able to execute it and you know that's why i like to shoot steel i mean shooting steel is fun but it's i feel like if i shoot steel too much and i get bad at paper and then, you know, if yeah. you dry fire too much, then all of a sudden you, you kind of lose some skill. So there's this kind of interesting blend. And then at the end of the day, it's always fun to go out and actually be able to run transitions and run and gun and do some stuff where, you know, for a lot of civilians, there's just not a lot of opportunity to do that stuff. So or no, no, there's not. You, you can do it dry. And, and so a lot of our guys are like, hey, man, uh, how do I do a 400 meter run and then dry fire? I'm like, well, you live somewhere, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you dry fire in your house ever? Yeah. Okay. Well go run outside for 400 meters, come back to your house and then dry fire inside. Oh, like head explodes. And sometimes just that simple approach of like, just use what you have to implement the training. You know, if you want to get good at, you know, you, you know what right looks like from watching John Wellborn shoot. And so now, (laughs) now you can do that in the mirror, kind of like shadow boxing. When I was doing really into mixed martial arts in high school, um, we would shadow box all the time. Like, you know, just in the mirror, I think the first month or three months or whatever, you didn't even actually hit a pad. You were just shadow boxing. John, you did martial arts. You can probably attest to the same thing. Just like, am I in the right spot? Let me progress to that. From the time I was real little, we did these things that were called katas, which I look back, which are like basically organized dance moves. And it was like, you would basically get tested on these belts. Like not if you could fight, but whether or not you could mimic for this long. And I always joke that like, the uh like the ninja turtles where they're like you know they show master splinter as like the little rat trying to like imitate his master that's what i felt like but uh no i mean dude though one of the first times actually the first time we met in person we got to go shoot which was still probably one of my most favorite times here in texas i think i told you we showed up to go uh at this hunting deal and the lady's like oh you guys should go out and sight your rifles so we walk outside and we're sitting on like a picnic table sighting our rifles at like maybe it was like a 50 or 100 yard zero was like at like about a 30 degrees because 90 degrees, there was a house. We were 10 foot from a road, and then there was a house on the other side. So we we're shooting between houses. Uh, and then the lady brings us out drinks. And so we're sitting out there sighting rifles, having some beers, uh, sighting the rifles between two houses, 10 foot from a road. And nobody called the SWAT team. There was no helicopters. Like Texas. If that, if that was in California, we'd be fucking in jail. <laughs> so like I remember being like, this Texas place is great. You can have some drinks, shoot some guns, and have some fun. Yeah, man. That's still... Uh, <laughs> That's still one of my favorite events every year is going out to the, uh, to the hog hunt. Um, Can you talk yeah, that was a about, great time about what you What's do that? with the Silent Warrior Foundation. So the site, thanks Callie. Uh, the Silent Warrior Foundation, we started in 2010 in memory of our fallen friends. And so we started out just doing scholarships, 
Um, it was basically a, a couple dudes with, it was four of us that were going to pitch in a hundred bucks a piece to do a scholarship in, in memory of our friends that got killed in Afghanistan. And that's matured this year. We just changed our bylaws. Uh, now essentially we're saying hundred percent veteran run. So there's no offices, there's no salaries that get, get written from the charity. The money that comes into the charity is either used to raise more money directly. So like, you know, you want to do a golf tournament, you have to pay the golf course to do a golf tournament. Um, or goes directly to the cause. Uh, so, you know, all the money we make goes where you think that it's going to go. Uh, but basically we wrote, we rewrote our bylaws so we can do anything to help veterans. So right now we have a, uh, 90 day outpatient therapy process that we're test piloting, um, with somebody to get them in. I'm trying to think of what I can say about this. Essentially what we're establishing is a model of outpatient therapy for guys that have, whether it's PTSD or other mental health issues that are veterans where we can put them into this outpatient therapy process and pop out on the other side, hopefully a little bit better to tackle the real world. Um, and again, the, the big thing for us is that we're hundred percent volunteer run. So when money comes in, it goes where you think it's going to go. No, that's legit. When, and, uh, how long has that been going? So we started it in 2010. The, the, are you talking about the charity or the outpatient therapy? The charity itself. Doing? So the charity itself started in 2010 and it's been going ever since. So we've, we've raised, um, we're still small, you know, it's, it's basically, uh, probably 10 or 15 people that try to help raise money throughout the year. Mm -hmm. um, but essentially whatever we raise through the year, which is typically about a hundred thousand um, dollars gets written in checks for scholarships. And so we zero out the bank account and mm -hmm. try to raise the same amount the next year and don't carry anything over. Um, we're changing that a little bit so that we have a, uh, hopefully a bankroll of, of cash. You know, if somebody hits us up and says, Hey, you know, I've got a guy who needs outpatient therapy. Um, can we, can we work something out? We got to have a little bit of a reserve there. Um, but we've been lucky. There's, there's tons of uh, veteran owned companies and veteran friendly companies like you guys that we can hit up and go, Hey, we need money. And they'll send checks to mm -hmm. us to get guys the help they need or, or whatever it is that we're doing. But yeah, that's, that's the silent warrior foundation. That's kind of actually how John and I met John came out to a hunt with uh, Rob Wolf. Who else is out there? Charles Mayfield. Yeah, it was Charles, uh, Dave, um, yeah, Dave from Seattle. He's yeah, in Seattle. Yeah, uh, Dave was one of the, you know, Rob and him started the first CrossFit, Dave Warner. And uh, Dave yep, was a former Dave team guy. And uh, no, I mean, it was interesting. Uh, I got forwarded the email from uh, Silent Warrior Foundation through a, you know, clandestine channel that we have, kind of a weird connection <laughs> uh, that I'm not going to get into. But uh, I got forwarded this email and I looked at it and I thought, shit, man, this is a, you know, a great opportunity to, you know, reach out and help and meet some people. And so I, I forwarded it on to Rob and those guys and they were like, shit, let's go. So we, uh, we ended up signing up and, and then heading down. And it was kind of interesting, uh, you know, as I meet Brent for the first time, uh, you know, we start talking and instantly he starts trying to talk shit to me, which I thought was hilarious. Because at that point, I figured it was fucking game on and I didn't have to be nice to people anymore. And actually, by the end of it, I uh, pretty much offended Lou to the point where Lou called me out in front of everybody. <laughs> so uh, there was a guy there and he's like, you know, I was coming here to have a really great time. And then I met John Wellborn and he's done nothing but humiliate me and make fun of me for two days and F him. And then he passed out. So, Yeah, everybody else had a great time listening to you humiliate him. Well, you know, he, uh, he, he started. 
I mean, you know, like my deal is I'm not going to throw the first blow, but if you're going to land a blow, I'm going to land several. And uh, yeah, that, that's about, why Kelly? we were instantly friends. Is I think I don't know if you took a shot at me first or if I took a shot at you, but it was just like it back and good. forth for three days. It's a good time. Yeah, and you know what? And you could take the you know I mean I uh, what's the deal? You got to have a big spoon, big dish. You got to be able to take. You got to be able to give it. And the problem is, is when you got a big big dish and a or I'm sorry, it was a big spoon, little dish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big spoon, little dish is when you have issues. Yeah, and and, uh, and Lou didn't do so well but you know yeah. i felt I, I felt very excited that of anybody he called me out so i felt like mission accomplished well i'm glad you felt accomplished offending another person at a charity event John. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well i paid to be Tip of the hat to you i sir. paid to be there i can do what i want <laughs> yeah. uh no it was uh it was good though they, it, wasn't it uh, that john romano dude was there uh the guy that wrote yeah. the how to become an alpha book Yep, the How to Become an Alpha book. I know you're his biggest fan. Yeah, I, um, I, I just, what I asked him, I said, if you really have to tell people how to be an alpha, are they alphas? Well, so that's what I love every time I talk to you. You have a story about calling somebody out to their face. I'll talk to you and you're like, hey, do you know this? I'm like, either yes or no, whether I do or not. I'm like, yeah, I, I called that guy out. I'm like, for what? What did they do? And it's like, well, he, he said, I heard he said this. So I fucking called him or showed up at his place. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to be able to call people on their bullshit. Like the dude wrote a book called How to Become the Alpha. And I was like, dude, like, really? Like, I mean, I, I, he probably got seven figures and made millions of dollars for it. So like jokes on me. But like, yeah. and, and I asked him some pointed questions about it. And I was like, you know, and he, he answered them. So it was good. We had a good time. Yeah. I mean, maybe in his mind, he, he is the epitome of alpha and maybe in your mind, he's not, or maybe well, he mean, is in your mind. And you, you know, just I totally humped it. him from behind when he wasn't looking and I like held him down. Like, that's so alpha of you, yeah, John. No, well, I mean, that's how you know you're the yeah. alpha is when you can hump somebody from behind and then I urinated on his leg. So it was good. What are you gonna does. edit? We should edit that one out, maybe. <laughs> no, these are these are facts. Yeah, yeah John's holding people John down Wellborn. and humping him <laughs> to <laughs> establish dominance. Yeah, that's what he meant. Yeah. That's what he means by big, big spoon, little dish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I always think it's funny. It, it kind of goes into the silent professional thing, and there's always that line to toe. If, if you have good stuff to say, you have to say your good stuff and deliver it in a way that makes sense. But um, if you're too busy saying it, you're, you're probably not that busy doing it. Right. That's mm-hmm. the, uh, one of the issues that you run into in today's, uh, online marketing world is everybody's talking about what you're doing. And a lot of people aren't doing what they're doing, what doing what they say they're doing. That well, makes I, sense. I think we got, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. I think if, uh, as long as you give the perception of success on the internet, like uh, social media, like if you go, I don't know, like Lisa Lamborghini or something. And you want to like roll yeah. around. You lease an that car and just tell people how successful you are. Yeah, and, and then you just tell people how successful to... you are. I mean, it, it, it goes a long way. And I think like doing that really breeds success. But I, I don't know necessarily if um, if if it's accurate or not. So I don't know. I'm going to try I don't know. Who knows? Maybe well, if you had a Lamborg- Lambo or other exotic car, you would know. No. Well, what if you were to lease like a, a mid to early 80s, like really shitty diesel truck and drive that around? Does that scream success? Yes. <laughs> It, it depends who you're talking to, I guess. Yeah, yeah love if you're talking you. to John, then that's success. <laughs> Although I don't know who's leasing early '80s diesel yeah, trucks. You know, if uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to lease this. You're, it's, it's, it's Craigslist. A, thing. It's a five hundred dollar car. <laughs> Fucking buy it, you cheap ass. And then what you do is you put a ten thousand dollar motor in it with a thousand foot pounds of torque, and then people are like. Like um, my my blazer's got that fucking big Cummins in it, and uh, literally this lady's like, "Is that thing stock?" I'm like, "Define stock." And I just blew black smoke all over her. So, John, how many uh, vehicles are you up to now? Uh, well, 
And how many run? He's li- he's counting on his fingers. Uh, ooh, that's a hard thing. So um, I, I I believe in uh, collecting a piece of shit cars. That's like a you know strange addiction I have, which is but I mean none of them are very expensive, so it's not like it's probably like all of my cars' value is probably less than you know one nice car. So, but uh, how many cars am I up to? I got my pickup. I drive, I drive daily. I got the Blazer, and then uh, we bought the ranch truck, which is the red truck. And, um, fall guy. Oh yeah, I got the fall guy truck. So we built that you one. Got the sh- are you talking about the Mustang? Or are you? Oh uh, no, and then I got that. I, I got a Shelby. Uh, I got a '49 Mercury. What else? We got the '49 Rio. So we're up to like seven or eight cars. You got that little side by side that. Oh yeah, we got the little side by side. Yeah. What's that? Uh, I got a little uh, Kawasaki mule thing that. Uh, Shut up! Oh little, my god. Little like uh, UTV. <laughs> it's pretty funny. We drive around. That's how we take out the trash. Uh, and we just basically fucking do like. You've seven, gone full eight. Texas. It, it, uh, you know, like uh, my neighbor had one. And I was like, ah, we're good. And then, um, and then I borrowed, or my neighbor let me drive his around. I'm like these are fucking great. Yeah, we need one of these. Yeah. yeah. So because there's these kind of tight places, but we drive around in that. So we got that too. Uh, I but, saw a guy last night uh, scooting like like Fred Flintstoning on like a really nice Kawasaki bike, like kicking his feet and trying to propel it down a hill. Uh, he was stealing it. <laughs> <laughs> So Did you arrest him or let him yeah, go? Yeah, I, re- I arrested him. I was like, hey, what are you doing? He was like, oh, just going for a ride. I was like, you know you have to turn it on. <laughs> and are you like riding like, next to him at this point? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have, I have the uh, video from this. And he goes, well, I don't have the keys. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm going to need you to park that. <laughs> were were like, you oh. laughing while you said oh, this? Oh, dude. Yeah, yeah. The, the video of this is just priceless. He's like, I just, I, you know, he's like, I knew I shouldn't have taken it. No, it doesn't belong to me. I just found it. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to go mess around for a little while. And I'm just like, I just, I'm just like, dude. That's Grand Theft Auto. Bro. Yeah, that's Grand, Grand Theft Auto. Actually, he told me, I said, well, do you know what that is? And he said, it's Grand Theft Auto. And I said, yes, it is. Hmm, you yes, could do my is. job. So did you just let him put it back, and then you're like, "Go along, go along." Well, then you I got know. a sticker. I gave a him a sticker, and I said, "And a snow cone." Yeah, she's like, "What snow, snow flavor do you want?" He's like, "Pina colada." Nicest, nicest person though I've arrested recently. He was very respectful, so I was like, "Well, so, you got so did going. you beat his ass?" Still uh, anyway? You're gonna go to jail, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did they take away your baton and they just gave you a churro? <laughs> What's with the the food thing? This is like is this John's based hungry? On- I'm I'm fucking hungry. That's exactly Carnival. what it is. Like this like, is like I, the carny like I, less lethals. I just imagine Callie like all of a sudden like goes to pull out her baton and she's like, I got a churro. And like answered the dude and he's like, Oh thanks. Like she's just disarming. Here's him with your food. churro. You're gonna go to jail. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like Callie, oh. can you ride alongs? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And can you bring four people on a ride-along? <laughs> no, well, they can't uh, be armed. Here's, here's the only problem is Kelly's like, can you go on a ride-along? If anything goes down, you're not allowed to get out there and you're beat not people's allowed asses. To, no. And I'm like, you mean we're not now, uh, allowed to engage suspects if we see fucking shit going on, we, if we see shenanigans? She's like, no. I'm like, <laughs> no, I don't know if I want to You're a free citizen. You can totally help out a cop. Yeah, all of a sudden we're like, stop resisting arrest. Citizen's arrest. It's like uh, Officer Hinsman, and then your ride-along got out and beat some fucking dude senseless. Um, all four of them. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, not, oh. that's not going to reflect very well on me. All of a sudden, Brent and his buddies jumped out in full kit and were running down the street screaming, fucking America. Uh, okay. I, I heard a rumor they're trying to pass a law called The Purge. <laughs> so one day... <laughs> Great documentary. Yeah, 
<laughs> like Seattle, the purge, it's coming. <laughs> so I have some like more law enforcement questions, if I may. Or are we just going to cut it here? Hit it. Just no, like, what you got? Let's hear them. Uh, just some broad questions. So since I work at night, um, people are always kind of going back and forth about the weapon mounted light. Um, I've seen the pros and cons of both in training. And I have um, just people, well, people may be misusing it in terms of using it just as a flashlight and not necessarily uh, intentionally lasering an area, but maybe that's just poor training. Um, I'm sure it is. Um, and I mean, I imagine, are you a proponent for it then? Yeah. I, so the gun that I carry, all, all the guns that I carry always have lights on them. Um, mm -hmm. Bad stuff happens at night, typically. Um you know, for police officers, it happens in the day too, but usually for us, bad stuff was at night and, um, you shouldn't be shooting things if you don't know what they are is a good rule of thumb. So if you can't see something and it's not well lit, you, you probably shouldn't be shooting at it unless it's shooting back at you already. Um, and, and at that point you're kind of too late. So yeah, I would say carry a light and train so that you're not doing whatever stupid stuff people are doing with them. You know, I mean, carry a second light on your belt if you have to, that's what, I always did is I always had like a headlamp, the light on my gun, the light on or on my pistol, the light on my rifle, and then another light either on my pocket or, uh, you know, on a belt. Is that also taking into consideration the difference of like different rules of engagement for like law enforcement versus maybe like somebody with, you know, a, a, like a military background? Because oftentimes, you know, like stuff that we're trying to illuminate if we're doing building searches, things like that. I, just depending on the situation or well you should have a second light it, it the circumstances in which you will shoot somebody will be no more lenient right so you need to see that person to be able to shoot them legally and justifiably and you should probably see what's around them as well mm -hmm. you should not have that as your only light i will say that you should mm -hmm. have another light with you and if people are you know if, if carrying an extra light is too much weight for you then then lift some weights you know yeah. I mean, I've just gotten in the habit of marrying my light and my gun. And I think that, I guess I'm thinking of like downtown city things where there's a lot of foot traffic and pedestrian backdrop, um, yeah. where, where you can marry it really quickly, but maybe you want to have the light out and you want to, you know, maybe illuminate an area, but not necessarily be lasering everyone in the background. Maybe you're waiting for a suspect to, you know, come. Yeah. Whatever. Carry two yeah, yeah, if yeah. you have a gun in one yeah. and your light in the other, if you got to just add one more thing, one more yeah, thing. just just drop the light if you have to, the extra light, and and you still have one on your gun. Yeah, um, but not having one on the gun is silly to me. We we've pretty much all gone to lights on both guns, and and that's on my concealed carry gun as well. Is there's a light on it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't right. see any really good argument for not having a light on your gun. Um, if you want something to illuminate stuff that you're not pointing a gun at, just carry a second light. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm um, looking at my list of questions here. Yeah. What else you got? Let's see. I mean, in terms of like, do you have advice uh, going into somebody who has no rifle training background, someone going into rifle training, like things to prepare for, things to expect, um, not to be surprised by that training? Yeah. So, um, well, first off, I think people need to really be realistic about how things go down. Um, I have asked almost everybody that I've worked with who's been in a real gunfight, um, if they've ever done a speed reload with a rifle 
and how many times and they don't happen very often in real life, almost never actually. So focusing your training on like good marksmanship, um, line up the sights, slow steady squeeze and get that shot off is, uh, the most important thing that you're ever going to do. Um, starting there and then delving into like weapons manipulations is going to be what you want to do, if that makes sense. And it's tough to say over the internet, like how to prioritize and get ready for training, but long, long of the short is get really good at shooting, like just the act of sights are on target, squeeze the trigger and, and get that to where one, you're not surprised when you hit what you're shooting at. And then two, you can repeat it and then repeat it quickly and then start introducing more complex stuff like malfunctions and uh, speed reloads because those things are way less likely to happen, um, you know, on their own. But yeah, that makes sense. And the other thing yeah. is set up. So a light on your rifle and then some type of magnifying optic, I'm a huge believer in. Um, I pretty much always had some type of magnifying optic on my guns. So Brent, as you come out and, you know, you're, I guess, spilling out all of this knowledge, this is clearly... Yeah. This is info that you've acquired over your career, right? You know, yeah. and I guess with that said, you know, have these always been the principles that you have followed, whether it is training or firearms proficiency, or is this something that, you know, a series of mentors have imparted their information on you? And then, you, you know, you've created the proverbial, like, you know, we'll say power athletes, a Jeet Kundo approach. We have all these influencers outside and for the right. given objective we use what we know works best and we dismiss what doesn't for that specific objective is it kind of is that yeah is that the, it's the very story? similar like uh so i don't know when it was anyway i told john that what you guys do at power athlete has been hugely inf influential just your approach to things and how i've done business as far as evaluating training and building the training systems that I have had in place for myself and then, you know, for softly that we've developed as well. And it's been exactly that, you know, you, you want to add, we always say the tools to the toolbox, right? You want to be good at a bunch of different stuff and then you want to know when to apply the tool, but I've never been married to any training or gear setup or anything. If, if there's something that's better and a, an idea that's going to work better, then we'll do it. Um, you know, for instance, I don't know how much you guys know about firearms, but typically a longer barrel is more accurate and mm -hmm. a shorter barrel is not as accurate. And so I didn't know how um, that relationship would work in in a real setting. And so typically what you had is a really short barrel was good for close quarters work and you would have a non-magnified optic on it, right? Just like a red dot sight, if you're familiar with that terminology. Mm -hmm. And nobody married a magnified optic to a really short barrel. And so on my last appointment, we started to play with our really short barrels and then a magnified optic on it. Um, just because we were working in and out of vehicles in uh, kind of like plain clothes stuff. And so we wanted to basically change up. And for the last, you know, five years, we had used our guns. If it had a long barrel, it had a magnified optic. If it had a short barrel, it, it didn't have a magnified optic. And we just started to question, well, why can we do this a little bit better? And so, you know, yeah, there's this, the, the knowledge that I have that is not just based on my experience. It's based on the experience of everybody who's ever taught me or I've ever trained with and, and done things with, you know, I try to take a little bit away, even if it's one thing, good or bad, maybe, maybe it's just what not to do. Um, but I'm always, we're always evaluating what we're doing and trying to make it better and refining our systems and processes. And a lot of what I want to do is just like cut out the bullshit on, on training and, and get rid of the stuff that doesn't work, the hacks, if you will. Oh, yeah. 
So, um, yeah, just, just finding out everything's a piece to the puzzle and finding out which piece to the puzzle is going to get you there most efficiently and, and paint the picture the best. And then I guess back. maybe going back even, uh, you know, we, we had a shit, it must've been 30, 40 minutes ago. We were talking, you, you know, we were talking about, uh, the ballerina that is John Wellborn doing a pirouette over a fucking Creek with a backpack on. Right. Yep. And the idea that just kind of stronger people are harder to hurt and quicker to bounce back. Do you also notice, um, I guess in your training history, when it comes, is there a correlation between ability and skill acquisition in training as it relates to firearms training? I should say weight room training as it relates to firearms training, meaning quicker. No, there's not. No, you don't see it. No, there's almost, um, but it's the way you guys have really changed and we've, um, we've changed how our training assists in making individuals more athletic. Because if you look at a lot of, you look at typical CrossFit, it's not making anybody more athletic. It may make them super fit. And so that was a typical model that we had in the past was you had a a guy that was very fit, but not necessarily athletic. And now, I mean, just in my, um, my last team, we had uh, probably four guys that had played either uh, D1 or like high level D3 sports, Um, super athletic guys really strong performers in the weight room. And what we've been trying to do over the last few years is change our weight room practices so that they lend to good athletic practices. Right. The coordinative athleticism, right. Instead of just developing fitness, because right. those two things are, are mutually exclusive. You know, they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but mm-hmm. if you train to one, you're not necessarily always training to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the more athletic a guy is, the faster he'll pick that stuff up. And especially when you start to add in, you know, if you're just not standing there shooting, if you're moving and shooting, the more athletic a guy is, the better he's going to be through the house, the faster he's going to pick all of that up, et cetera, et cetera. And then the, again, the stronger guys are, the, the faster they'll bounce back after getting hurt, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's always huge for us. So um, a, a bit of anecdotal personal experience. Last summer, I crashed a dirt bike and, and tore my ankle apart. Um, tore three ligaments and six millimeters of cartilage last 4th of July, actually a year and a day ago. Wow. Uh, I called John cause I knew John had broken everything a couple times and been pieced back together. And I was like, Hey man, I have a deployment coming up. I have to be ready to go. I can't walk right now. And I was looking for a hack, like, Hey, what do I do? You know? And he's like, well, I broke my, you know, I knew he had broken his ankle when he was in the NFL. I'm like, well, what'd you do? When you broke your ankle in the NFL, he's like, okay, well, uh, I put a cast on it. And uh, when I had to play a game, I took the cast off and I played the game. And then I went back and put the cast on. And I was like, well, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, but that's essentially what I did is I, I was just like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to put the cast on now. I, I let it rest until I deployed. Um, right before deployment, I made sure I could still sprint a short distance if I had to. And, uh, could, could pick up a teammate and run with them. And that was kind of my standard. And so I, I had a weird deployment. It was extremely safe for the first half and then less so the second half. Um, and I just wanted to make sure going into the second half that I was going to be strong, but long story short or long story longer, I credit coming back from that, um, quickly because I was stronger going into it. You know, mm-hmm. everything else was such that, um, I was strong when I got injured. It made it a lot easier to bounce back. If I had been, slacking in the weight room, I wouldn't have bounced back and wouldn't have been able to perform my job as well, you know, down the line when I got injured. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, you know, it's, 
I guess, you know, who is it like, it was Rip who said something like, you know, harder to kill, more useful in general, stronger people, right? But we have right. a, uh, we got a, an email like a few months ago, dude was driving home or got into an Uber or something and was T-boned by some drunk guy going like 80 miles an hour and wrapped his, his taxi around a telephone pole. Jesus. And he hits us up and he's like, dude, I am absolutely convinced that because I was dedicated and following your programming, I was in the best shape of my life. I was the strongest I've ever been doing the most sprinting. He's like, I really think that if I wasn't following that program for 18 months, I might be dead, you know? And it's oh, just like, you 100%. hear shit like that, you know? And then, um, but this is civilians that are for the most part in a really fucking safe environment. Right. And these are flukes. And then you would think that if you have a guy who's an operator, this shit hat, like it's, is it not common sense? You know, you, is it not common sense for some of these guys? And like, I guess you were saying there is some bullshit. People are romanticized by swimming and running and rucking all day. But at the end of the day, like you got to be, it's not even that they were romanticized by it. It's that for the longest time, that's just what you did. And if you want to talk about being indoctrinated, indoctrinated into a system, um, where it's hard to make change, that's the military. You're, we're just now seeing in the last few years that people are really starting to understand how the the type of shape and the things that we need to do to be in the right kind of shape in the weight room and how that applies to the job. Um, the other thing was budget, you know, the, the global war on terrorism meant that we got a lot more money and we could build really nice gyms. But for a long time, if you wanted to get your 20 guy platoon, you know, if you're in the infantry, a 20 guy or, or 30 guy unit to work out, um, you were taking them for a run or a swim or, you know, if you got real crazy, they were carrying each other and that was kind of your strength training. And, and so doing a lot of this stuff uh, in the weight room was on your own, on your own time. And so you're just now seeing like, Hey man, you know, you got to be working out from 6am to 8am or 7am to 9am. And, you know, I'll just see you in the weight room when I see you and do your own thing. That's a, a relatively new concept probably in the last five, six years um, that wasn't there in mass in the military like it was before. Um, and, and nobody's measuring still aside from twice a year, you get, uh, what's called the SOCOM, uh, physical fitness test where they measure your, uh, three rep max bench press, deadlift, 20 yard shuttle drill. Um, there's a few other smattering things, but aside from that, there's no military physical fitness test that has weightlifting in it. So strength didn't help you for like promotion. It didn't help you on paper. And so guys didn't gear their training towards it. They're mm-hmm. like, well, if I run fast and I can do 20 pull-ups or a hundred push-ups and I'll look better on paper. And that's what they geared their training towards. So it, it's kind of a new concept for guys going, well, being strong is actually going to help you. And it's not just, you know, for looks and vanity. Right. And, you know, I, I guess you, you correct me if I'm wrong, but this is people align strong with the monsters they see in the highlight tapes. Like that dude fucking deadlifting 800 pounds for eight. Like that's fucking insanely strong for the most part. We're talking about base level of strength strong, which is probably like close to double weight, body weight, back squat. Right. Um, you know, 1.5 body weight bench and body weight press, like all these made that particular, that particular matrix that we would call base level of strength, which is followed, you know, you follow bedrock or something. That's about where you come out. And, um, that's, that's where guys right? need to be. It's super obtainable. So, you know, and you can still be pretty fast. You can still back squat double body weight and run a, a sub six minute mile. You can still run your 21 minute 5k and, and be able to do that. Um, you know, what, what we don't want to do is butt up on the edge of human performance where, uh, or human capability mm-hmm. rather. 
So, you know, that guy that's running a four minute mile and still back squatting double body weight or more, he's at that breaking point, man. Like you're, he is, he is a finely tuned race car. And if something's out of whack, the engine's going to pop. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what we've butted up against is getting guys, you know, the 80% of their capability or 90% of their capability. Cause when you try to hit 95, 99, a hundred percent of their capability, that's then when they're more likely to break, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It definitely. So, does. um, it's cool. A lot of fitness systems that are, um, innovative and chic for lack of a better term are based on one individual's anecdotal experience, right? Like, Hey, I'm super strong and super fast and have phenomenal endurance. Um, but if he's a one-off guy, you know, his test levels are naturally jacked through the roof. He recovers super fast. He only needs six hours of sleep a night or what, whatever the concoction is, is everything he's doing is what his base, uh, what his model is based off of that can't be applied to other guys and have them not break. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I think, you know, you need a team of people to evaluate the training that you're putting out, the methodologies that you're using, which you guys obviously have and we have as well, which I think is why we've always gotten along. But, yeah, cut out the bullshit, right? That's it. No, it's good stuff, Cat. Did you have, before I hijacked everything? Do you do you have any other questions? Uh, yeah, I had a bunch of questions, but you you hijacked it early on, so now we're running out of time. Mm, sorry, Cal. <laughs> That's all right. I'll get them when we train in person. It's no biggie. Yeah, yeah, dude, Brent, I'm excited for that. Let's. We'll have to get that scheduled out. So that's happening this year, right? Yeah, John was saying it's too hot for him. Uh, he doesn't do well in the heat. <laughs> you know, we have an option. Or- let's let's just let's spitball here. Let's you know what if let's just say what if we accidentally scheduled something where John was unavailable. Uh, oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> no, so, bro, okay. If so- he just cut all that hair off, he'd be cooler anyway. I didn't know he had such a swoop going on. He has like a little Bieber thing, actually. I didn't know. I didn't know it was him for a second because it was so long. I was like, "What in the hell?" He's claiming he can't he find a like, barber, and I, you know, he looks like old school John, like from back in the day. Like, yeah, with yeah. that long early, swoop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very early feminine. crossing football. Mm-hmm. Remember the handlebar yeah, mustache? Really sticking the jabs right now. Always not <laughs> the it's perfect. It's so uh, yeah, when no. we do when we do get together to train, what is uh, what's what's this going to look like? Are we? I mean, is this just like hunting humans or um, man's most worthy yeah. adversary? <laughs> yeah, we're going to rent an island and then we're all going to fly out <laughs> to the island and we're going to cut loose John in a butt flap with a spear and then you're going to yes. have your patrol gear on and you go hunt down John. That's perfect. That's yeah. great. As long as there's some night training, I really want to do a lot of stuff at night. That would be do lots of great. night stuff. Uh, I'm hoping that I get a hold of some spear suits. We'll do some fighting and some shooting, and uh, it'll be a good time. Oh my god! Yeah, it's gonna be yeah. fucking awesome. We'll try awesome. to get a spear shoot spear suit for uh, John. I'll make a trip <laughs> <one>. oh, <hopefully. laughs> gonna be. Let's get Tony Blower there to kick his ass, yeah. <laughs> just like out of nowhere. Hey, are we button up on time or? Uh, yeah, that's. I, I think we're uh, we're about there, the right? Cool. So, yeah. Brent, I appreciate you taking the time, man. I know you had to hustle from your previous appointment, which sounded like yeah. a, like we talked about a lovely time. So, thanks a lot for jumping on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And hopefully, I'll see you soon to beat John up and shoot some guns. It's gonna be epic. Yeah. All cool. Right. Thanks, All right, Brent. See you, Brent. Later, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 
Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Brent Phillips and the Softly crew on Instagram under the name SoftleetHQ. Or head to SoftLeak.com for programming, supplements, or apparel for the special hooker in your life. And as promised, here's that pre-show banter uh, between myself, the guys, and Brent. Hey, so we're thinking of chipping in and getting Tech's uh, laser hair removal. What do you think? <laughs> I got you, Brent. You got us? I mean, gotcha. it's, yeah, it's, these yeah. headphones sound like dog shit. Oh, I have to plug him in all the way. He looks like a long-haired Chihuahua. Is that better? You're gonna get you're gonna get him hair for his uh, electrolysis for his body hair or his yeah. head hair? No, no. Well, he he's actually <laughs> losing his hair on his head. He's actually growing right. more forehead. Right. So can I, he be his own donor then? He, like, he's gonna have the forehead of a dolphin here shortly. Have you? Uh, <laughs> I, I've I've recently had like three or four pool days with Tex. And uh, his body hair, he looks like an underwater plant. <laughs> no. There's so much body <laughs> hair floating I, off of him. I was actually, like, uh, no, I was thinking more of a, um, uh, like a jellyfish. Yeah, you know yeah, kind of like, like one of those. Floats. Or like, kind of like one of those cor- like cor- oh, coral oh, oh. pieces that or, like have uh, feather. No, uh, uh, sort uh, of. Like kelp. Like kelp beds. Yeah, kelp bed. That, yeah, that, like yeah. a real small version of a kelp bed well, off of his chest. Well, then the weird part is, is when he goes to get out, it's like all wet and matted where he looks yes. like a wet cat. Mm-hmm. Or like a wet chihuahua or something. It just, it, it, you know. And I even said to him, I'm like, dude, I mean, I'll find a small Asian woman to shore you. Like, I'm like, there's a sheep guy down the farm. He's got goats. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we could drop him off there and get him shored. You know, some people would find that very masculine and attractive. What, um, getting shored by like a sheep? <laughs> no, just all of his body hair. In some cultures, John, it's you know, it's a sign of power and wealth. Yeah, yeah. There's a planet in Star Wars where actually they're revered. Right. <laughs> Brent, are we coming through okay on your end? For th- this is a sound check, by the way. I mean, I can hear you guys, if that's what you mean. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know that you're coming through okay, but you're coming through. <laughs> well, it's nonsensical. You guys might want to uh, talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. We're talking <laughs> to you. Oh, I, We're hoping like that a you can provide health guidance. professional. I'm not qualified for that. I'm, I don't know what I'm actually qualified for. Is that a sex doll in the background? A sex doll? Yeah, I'm seeing a T-shirt, maybe. I am not a sex doll, no. <laughs> okay, just oh, making what? sure. Well, that no, really that my affects my fucking intro. Right that was there, Brent Phillips, right sex oh, doll. Oh, there you go. Oh, oh, is that a Boy right Scout uniform? It's a Boy Scout <laughs> uniform with a Reagan Bush '84 hat. On. Oh, oh my say, god! You know, how was that election? Was that a good one? Was What's that? Wouldn't know. Cali got it. Hey, uh, Luke, how's my how's my gain on this thing? Gain's good. Gain's good. Mm-hmm. Those eyebrows are looking a little unkempt, though. What's going on? No, you can't. Long the double no, the devil's fingertips. I just shaved them this morning. <laughs> like you shaved them off this no, morning? Oh no, no. Cal- Callie goes to some strange Asian woman that does threading. She told me all what's about this. What's Asian women in a hair specialty? <laughs> no, what's the, all, what's the thing I, with like what was the threading thing that you told me about with the with like the thread where they thread them? I never told you that. Yeah, did you I? did. We had a total conversation. Oh yeah, so about in, the, this. in the mall though, they do like this, like, like yeah, this the weird thing. I don't know. I've never gotten it done. Did I ever tell you about the one person who has ever complimented my eyebrows? Did I tell you guys this? It was like at a grocery store in California, and I shit you not, I'm like counting money and like about to pay the cashier, and he goes, "Oh my god, I love your eyebrows." I go, "Oh, thank you," and I look up, and he has the most heinous eyebrows. <laughs> Oh, it was a dude. Was it Ben Oliver? Yes, it was a guy, and they 
they were like painted on his head, like really huge. So, so like and a chola, like, oh, like the you. Mexican girls that like to shave them off and then draw them in, so they always look surprised. Uh, yes. He actually just had an eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's known as a like, unibrow. This fucking guy is complimenting my eyebrows. I'm gonna kill myself as soon as I get out of here. Well, obviously oh you God. didn't. Uh, <laughs> did, did you have well, to call you called it, bluff on that one, John. Did, did you have to call Mel to, uh, for a little uh, emotional uh, you know, propping you know, up? Mel's coming to town. Um, yeah, I, I'm. they're coming, I think, uh, in like three days. Hmm. Holy shit. Yeah. Have you rearranged your apartment? <laughs> no, but I've laid out my outfits for the four days she'll be here. <laughs> She's well, requested. I mean, are there a lot of epaulets? Like, uh, like I'm, I'm imagining you wearing just epaulets everywhere, just you know, sleeveless epaulets, lots of sh- just you know. things with crests on them. Like I'm imagining like a lot of like um, you know, bling slash flare. There's another group that yeah. has lots of flare, like Nazis. It's <laughs> good. Anyway, enough All about right. this. Let's Sorry, jump Brent. in. Let's roll. Shall we do this thing, Callie? Good news. Exactly 30 minutes of audio of pre-show for you. Okay. <laughs> About nothing. Mostly just Brent's dick, so everything's cool. And his feminine urine. <laughs> All right. Well, let me pull up my dick questions here. Dick, 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 dick. <laughs> shall we do it? Yeah, yeah. Let's, we shall. John, are you going to be talking this one, or are you going to sit this one out again? Oh, I'm going to sit this one out, but I might jump in for the occasion. <laughs> everyone has to laugh at my jokes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> was that your well-born impression? That shit was funny. <laughs> I know, Cal. Uh, so perp- uh, when we do the podcast, <laughs> as I'm listening to it, I'm imagining that Kelly has to go back and listen to this nonsense. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Does hey, Kelly you edit to the- your guys' podcast? Yeah. So she's yeah. technically our yeah. producer. Um, so every time I make a joke on this, I'm going to add like a Seinfeld laugh track. It's just going to be like, a crowd, like, ah. Uh, today's, today's episode is filmed in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do this, people. In three, two. Until next time. Bye.